Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. I've had a few people since I've been doing this podcast, as well as uh, the YouTube channel, suggest to me that maybe I do a few episodes on what life was like in a particular year in a city around Southwest Michigan. And I came across this great article about the year 1916 in Battle Creek, Michigan that was put together by a woman who was an active member of the Battle Creek Historical Society. So that's going to be the topic of today's show. We're going to go back to the year 1916 and explore some of the great events and activities and things going on during that year. So the article that I'm going to be referring to today was written by author Elizabeth Newmeyer, and it's available in her book, What's in a Name? An Anthology of Scene Articles on Local History. Scene Magazine is a magazine that's published in the Battle Creek area, and Elizabeth Newmeyer was a writer for this magazine for many, many years on the subject of local history. And she, at one point, put a collection of her articles together and published it in a book, and thus it's called What's in a Name, which I believe was the name of her column in Scene Magazine, where she would take the name of something within the community and tell you the history about it. But in this article, she's talking about the year 1916 in Battle Creek, Michigan. And this was the year the Historical Society of Battle Creek was organized And it was also quite a banner year for Battle Creek. The population of the city at that time was about 36,000 that lived within a six-square-mile bounded by the city limits. There were 10 hotels, two live theaters, the Post and the Bijou Theater, and six movie theaters, the Garden, the Strand, the Majestic, Rex, People's Theater, and Park Theater. Residents learned the news from three daily newspapers and could read eight more specialty journals that were published locally from Dogdom, which was a magazine about dogs, and the Michigan Poultry Breeder, which was a newspaper about the poultry industry, as well as another publication called The Truth Teller. More than 5,000 students attended 16 public schools, plus the high school. Battle Creek was proud of its educational facilities. Every school in the system offered a kindergarten class. Seventh and eighth graders were taught the newly established junior high classes. A summer school was instituted, and plans for a new vocational school were being developed. Prospect Hill Open Air School opened making a total of five of those innovative schools in the system. Perhaps of the most interest to the students during that time was the fact that all of the city schools, with only three exceptions, now offered playground apparatuses, including slides, basketball courts, and baseball diamonds. When the schools were closed during the summer, Dr. Kellogg opened the playground at his private residence on Manchester Street, so the city's children could enjoy the swimming and wading pools. All around town, businesses were booming. Factories were expanding. Downtown businesses were adding employees. New homes were going up in new subdivisions. 
The trolley line extended to Washington Heights and Main Street, and it was all paved all the way to Urbandale. Springfield Place more than doubled in its size as a result of the success of industries recently located there. The major factories reported over a million dollars spent on factory extensions during the year. Kellogg, Postum, H.B. Sherman Manufacturing, Union Steam Pump, Nichols & Shepard, Michigan Carton, Consumers Power Company, A.B. Stove, and Rich Steel all enlarged their facilities. Two new banks were built downtown, the eight-story Citibank at West Michigan and Capital Southwest, later became Michigan National Bank, was completed in October. The new old National Bank on West Michigan had officially opened in February. For the convenience of downtown shoppers, the first public comfort station, or restroom for women, opened in the basement of the First Baptist Church. Open from 10 a.m. in the morning until 5 p.m., the station was staffed with two matrons from the Ladies' Aid Society. It was immediately popular, especially with the country women who had driven in from their rural homes to spend the day in the city, according to the Battle Creek Inquirer. Fourteen different fountains pumped 15 million gallons of water during the summer season. These bubblers serve the public all over the city and in outlying regions as far away as Verona and Gogwak Lake. Every main artery leading into the city also featured a concrete or iron drinking trough for the horses. The black squirrels imported by Dr. John Harvey Kellogg from May to November of 1915 were gaining a foothold in the city. Kellogg brought in about 300 of the black squirrels, which are really a black phase of the eastern gray squirrel from Kent County. Apparently, Kellogg remembered the gray squirrel as being common in his youth, but their numbers had diminished. He wanted to increase their presence in this area. The city had spent more than $10,000 in the two previous years as T. Clifton Shepherd developed plans for three large public parks. Piper Pond on Maple Street was ready to be drained and the marshland used for a park. Plans were also in the works for improving the 90 acres of open land around the Verona pumping station into a formal park with picnic grounds and a golf course. The jewel of the park system was Irving Park. The land had been cleared, the tumbled-down houses removed, and the dump of ashes and old furniture cleaned up. After two years of work, the land was leveled. Two of the lagoons south of the Emmett Street were excavated. The bridge over Burnham Brook at Garfield was completed. And in 1917, the third large lagoon would be excavated and the park extended north and east. One clear sign of the passing of an era was the formal dissolution of the Calhoun County Detective Association, one of the oldest associations in the county. The Coalition of Area Farmers and Horse Owners was formed in 1882 to put a stop to the prevalence of the practice of horse stealing. At that time, there was an organized gang of thieves that made a systematic business of stealing horses 
all over the southern part of Michigan and rushing them across the line into Indiana. Hundreds of horses were stolen in this manner. The horse owners organized and established a system of riders, like the Minutemen of the Revolutionary War, who rode from farm to farm to alert the owners that the thieves were in the area. The system worked, and one of the old members reported that not a single horse had been stolen after the detective association had become active. Over the years, the alerts diminished and the association turned its attention to preventing thefts of farm animals and equipment. By 1900, the organization was largely dormant and finally filed for dissolution in 1915. On the night of June 22nd, more than 1,000 children were taken on the first municipal joyride by more than 100 generous autoists. According to the newspaper, there was a constant stream of automobiles turning onto the grounds of the Michigan Central Park downtown, loading up with the eager children and departing for an hour-long ride around the city. The first car in line belonged to Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, which was soon filled with 17 boys. The big red fire machine, driven by Fire Chief Weeks, was pressed into service. Even a large delivery truck was loaded with as many boys as could be packed on it. The event, sponsored by the Goodfellows, was meant to entertain children whose parents did not own an automobile. It was declared a rousing success, and plans were immediately made to make this an annual event. The appearance of the human fly was an exciting attraction of a different type in 1916. Crazy Jack Williams was a professional stuntman who traveled from city to city, climbing the tallest buildings using no equipment or safety nets. Williams buzzed into Battle Creek in September to scale the new eight-story Citibank building at Bank Corners. As a warm-up, he climbed the Post Tavern Annex in just 35 minutes, while 1,500 watched from below. The next day at 4 p.m., he started his ascent on the bank building, watched by more than 7,000 people who blocked the streets below. During his 25-minute climb, Williams added a couple of aerobatic stunts to thrill the audience. When he reached the fifth story, he calmly hung head down with his heels, preventing a dash to death. On the seventh floor, he straightened himself out horizontal to the building, holding himself up only by the tips of his fingers. The next day, Williams left for appearances in the Kalamazoo County Fair and the rest of his national tour. The two most important public events of 1916 were the visit of former President Teddy Roosevelt and the celebration of the 50th anniversary of the Battle Creek Sanitarium, which occurred in the fall. On September 30th, more than 50,000 people turned out to hear Roosevelt speak at a political rally. The colonel, as he was universally known, was not running for election himself. He came to town to stump for Republican presidential candidate Charles Evan Hughes, who was running against Woodrow Wilson. The event was described as the largest political gathering ever held in Michigan. 
as the city turned out to salute the ex-president during the few hours that he was in town. On Roosevelt Day, the ex-president arrived at 11 a.m. to a rousing reception of 10,000 people at the train station. He then headed to Monument Square, where he reviewed a parade before lunching at the Post Tavern. After a short rest, he made his major political address in a huge circus tent erected on the Kingman grounds on East Main Street. More than 18,000 people filled the tent to hear Roosevelt speak for two hours, attacking Wilson's policies as a menace to the nation and urging the election of Hughes. After the speech, Roosevelt returned to the Post Tavern, where he conferred with political leaders and rested before his departure from the train station at 9 p.m. There was barely enough time for the citizens to recover from the excitement of the Roosevelt visit before the Jubilee celebration opened at the Battle Creek Sanitarium. The three-day celebration of the 50th anniversary of the founding of the Western Health Reform Institute, later known as the Sanitarium, began on Tuesday, October 3rd. The program opened with a series of addresses by local and state leaders praising the accomplishments of Dr. Kellogg and the San. That evening was filled with a great street pageant featuring decorated automobiles, 23 allegorical floats, and seven bands. More than 1,000 San employees and students marched the two-mile route which was illuminated with torches, searchlights, and fireworks. The next two days were filled with conferences relating to many other subjects with a variety of educators, scientists, and national experts addressing the subjects. The headline speaker was William Jennings Bryan, who gave his address on national health and national prosperity in a large Chautauqua tent pitched near the Fieldstone Center. The celebration ended with a morality mosque, the Triumph of Truth, described as a gorgeous spectacle depicting the victory of sanitarium principles over ignorance and disease. The musical played featured 400 participants, including 100 dancers, elaborate sets and costumes, worthy of a metropolitan stage. And that concludes the article that was written in this What's in a Name book from the Scene Magazine article by Elizabeth Newmeyer on the events of 1916 in Battle Creek, Michigan. It's always fun to look back and see the different changes that have occurred over the many, many decades and how culture and life changed so dramatically as we look back. I mean, the automobile was a new thing at that time. And so to get a car ride was uh, quite an amazing experience for someone who had never had an opportunity to do that. But in a lot of ways, the cities were a lot more alive back then too. If you think about all of the stuff that we have replaced this sort of thing with entertainment these days, It's really kind of sad to see that we don't have live theaters in town and people going to the movie theaters these days is pretty much unheard of. And everybody's looking at their iPhones and their iPads and their computers these days for a source of entertainment and not really going out and doing things as much as we used to. 
And it's always nice to look back and say, wow, there's something to be said about community gatherings and getting out there among the neighbors in the community and celebrating some great event. Whether it's a man climbing a building or a political candidate coming into town that you want to hear speak or attending some form of entertainment at one of the local theaters or some kind of concert venue. It's always fun to just get out there and be around other people. And I think we kind of lost that during the COVID years, wouldn't you say? That uh, there was a bit of a dramatic shift when all of that was kind of taken away for almost a two-year period there with events and festivals being canceled and whatnot. So it's always nice to reflect on going back 100 years or more Looking at 1916, as we did in this episode, to see how things were different. I mean, there were still metal horse troughs around town that were a very important part of life in the community. Because people were still traveling into town on horse and buggy and horseback and wagons and that sort of thing. But hey, if you would like to take part in a very fun evening and get out of the house and go experience a wonderful event with people around, the Battle Creek Regional History Museum has Del Shannon Weekend coming up in June. I've been actively involved with helping to make the arrangements on that incredible weekend. And on Friday night, June 23rd, there is a Del Shannon tribute concert being held at the Penfield High School in the Penfield Performing Arts Center. And the concert will start at about 7 p.m. And I will go ahead and put the link to that in the show note descriptions. So if you want to buy some tickets to that, feel free to do so. All the proceeds to that concert go to support the Battle Creek Regional History Museum. And it's going to be a great night. We have the James Popenhagen Band doing a tribute to Del Shannon. But additionally, we have Brian Highland coming in to perform that evening. And he's the one that's most famous for Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini, as well as Sealed with a Kiss and many other songs. So it should be a fun and entertaining evening. Plus, if you hang around the following day on Saturday, you can go to the Lila Arboretum and see the Del Shannon Car Show, which is part of that Del Shannon weekend. And if you'd like to get your hands on an exclusive ticket to the Del Shannon Historic Legacy event at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, that's going to be held on Sunday. And it will be a very special presentation on the history of Del Shannon by the Del Shannon biographer. And those tickets are available at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum right now. And they're not going to be available online. They're only printed form for those for that event because there's such limited seating for that one. So those are a few things that you can keep in mind to check out and get outdoors and have some fun this summer and enjoy the warm weather when it gets here. I know when you're listening to this, you're probably going to be looking out the window seeing snow, which is what I'm seeing right now as I do this recording. But we can always hope for summer, can't we? And if you don't want to wait till June and you'd like to get a little bit of that theater-type feel, the History Education Center is nearing completion, and we have a couple of great events happening later this week. This episode is going to be airing Tuesday morning. This coming Saturday is Phenomenal Woman. 
And I believe there's still a few tickets floating around for that. So you can call the Battle Creek Regional History Museum. I'll put the link to the Eventbrite for online tickets on that. The last time I checked, there was about three tickets still available floating out there on that one on the online tickets. So that is kind of an indoor theater experience that you're going to find nowhere else in town. And there's another event coming up in April that I haven't really talked about much. It's the History of Archway Cookies. That event is called C is for Cookie. It's going to be fun. Going to get a lot of uh, people in there that are fans of the old Archway Cookie Company that used to be here in town. It's going to be a history of the, uh, the company. And there's a author that is giving this presentation and she's going to be signing her new book at this event and best of all you're going to be able to have some original recipe archway cookies it doesn't get better than that so i'll put some links in the show note descriptions where you can get tickets for that as well but most definitely get out there and enjoy a little bit of life which is what we learned from looking back at the year 1916 in Battle Creek. And that's going to conclude today's episode on Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And if you get a minute, please take a minute to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. It would be greatly appreciated. And I would extend to you my warm personal regards if you do so. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. Thank you.